deliberately, I, I found a, a word that I, I think that was consistent that I wanted to apply to everything. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, a whole four verses. Can you imagine that? Uh, there you go. But three things really left out to me as I was looking at this passage and considering what, uh, what Paul is beginning to describe here in his letter. But the one was the gift and the message of God's kingdom and his kingdom community, his community of people. That's all of you here. That is his church around the world. And then this gift of trusting, a trusting faith in the Savior. How many of you know that none of you can come to faith in Christ unless that faith is in fact gifted to you as a revelation from the kingdom? And so that we can actually take credit for nothing, just except for recognizing, except for recognizing something really good and saying yes to it. And then the third of that is this gift of suffering. Everybody goes, okay, maybe not that. Maybe not that God, but in fact that, exactly that, the gift of suffering for the sake of the King. Let's begin our reading here out of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct Hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or I hear it from a distance. Stand united. Singular in vision. Contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. Not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Paul begins this letter in this way. From Paul and Timothy. Holy Ones in King Jesus who were in Philippi. So many different thoughts come racing to my mind as I grapple with Paul's letter. First, I know that I have come to the letter with my own set of lenses. Do you know that? That when we come to anything, we're seeing it through a particular set of lenses. I come with my own presumed knowledge, with prejudice, and yes, even ignorance in this. I'm no different than 
actually any of us that is sitting here today. Each of us come with varied assumptions. We all have some common and some other uncommon educations. We've all learned to view the world and ourselves through many and various cultural expectations and religious or even non-religious traditions. We represent a, a myriad of life experience and relational encounters with people and with God. And those can make for some really interesting conversations and perspectives, can it? And sometimes that, those conversations can even lead to tension. But what we all have in common is God's presence. His act of love and our growing love for Him and, and hopefully for one another. When we come to realize that those differences are not simply something to be overcome. But when we discover that they actually offer us a diversity that presents us with a very real strength and a, and a myriad, so to speak, of views and understandings of God that paints a, a much bigger picture of Him. And even when we contend for the truth, God is refined in this, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it the word of God that says as a, that iron will in fact sharpen iron? But there's a beautiful thing that comes together when people determine to come together in the name of the Lord. When we understand that, I, I believe that we're starting to chip away at something that is really at the heart of Paul's letter to all of God's holy ones in Philippi. Epaphroditus has traveled some distance and he's navigated through dangerous countryside to come alongside Paul's prison and we, we suppose in Ephesus. Arriving safely to share their community's sacrificial gift of love and, and, and even financial help for his situation there. He brought with him both the blessings and the love of the church, but he also carried the burdens and the concerns weighing on his heart for the faithful in Philippi. And at the core of Paul's letter is his concern with the Philippians' attitudes, their attitudes towards one another. To Prominent members of the church and, and valuable co-workers in Paul's life and ministry were quarreling with one another. And as we'll find out when we read further, it's likely having an effect on the rest of the church. As it turns out, the church family isn't that much different than our own families. But when there's upset in the house with one or two, it, it upsets the whole house, doesn't it? Whatever happens, however we approach this, it's, it's helpful to embrace the humanity and the holiness of Paul 
Paul's messenger in his return to Philippi. Imagine being part of the faithful in Philippi who gathered to receive news about Paul and Timothy and, and maybe some of the other faithful messengers who first brought the gospel to them. Can you imagine that setting when he comes home? Can you can you see that in your mind's eye? I mean, it's highly likely that the enthusiasm of their messenger's return would have been spectacular. He probably had to field multiplied questions about Paul's condition and the state of the church in Ephesus and, and, of, the, and of the messengers and work co-workers of Paul themselves. But it, at, the, at the heart of their first house meeting of the church, people would have pushed in and hushed themselves to listen to Paul's letter in its entirety. And here we are just dealing with like four verses. But with some poignancy, we open today's words reading that says, whatever happens, whatever happens, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. I like how the New International Version opens this section of our scriptures. Paul's turning an important corner in the tenor of his letter. After addressing the issues of his own struggles, Paul turns his attention to the situation with his friends in Philippi. And he literally moves from the Greek rendering of moving from the things about being in verse 12 to verse 27, 27 to the things about you. Paul is committed to the Philippians. He's committed to their progress in their faith. And especially as their lives are playing out before a still unbelieving and hostile community who's watching from the outside. Do you remember that hostile community that we maybe just even touched on in the book of Acts? Paul's first encounter in the community of Philippi. Their charge against Silas and Paul is that they were teaching a different kind of custom than that was even legal for the people there of Rome. How are we when people bring a different kind of message than we're used to? How are we when God shows up in a way that we haven't seen before and maybe have only heard of. Whatever happens, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. So, you know, none of this should be any surprise to you. Isn't it Jesus himself who commands this from us? So many scriptures come and stories come leaping to my mind. I think of John chapter 13. A new command I give you. <laughs> love 
has always been God's strategy, right from the beginning. As I loved you and laid my life down for you, so you must love one another. This is our testimony to the world. Your job, my job, our calling, our destiny is to love one another. And not only to the world do we bring this message, but in particular it seems that it is this, our testimony, to the very ones who are hell-bent. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. But to the very ones who are bent to oppose the good news of God's salvation, this message, according to Paul, is particularly poignant and powerful. Your love of one another is a powerful testimony and message to the world. And to the ones in your life that are particularly demonstrative when they see that love, give thanks to God because God is getting at something in their lives. Jesus himself, we know, literally embodies the greatest good news of God's love and salvation. His name literally means... Like, what do you do with a Savior? What do you do with Jesus? God saves just walked into the room. The very implication that He's a Savior implies that we are a people who need saving. We have that abiding and eternal hope living and oozing through every cell of our personal and our corporate life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We, as his church, are the glorified members of Christ in this world. And no one knew that better than Paul. And you have to go back to Paul's introduction in the book of Acts. In those days, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Saul was an understudy of a famous Jewish scholar and theologian, Gamaliel. And while Gamaliel was considered a moderate, actually, he was quite a moderate of his time. Saul found himself sympathizing with a more radical and a zealous movement to restore God's former and promised glory to Israel. And he'd been watching this new sect of Jews who preached that Jesus was Messiah, that he had come. And they'd watched that wreaking havoc in Jerusalem city and even in their very beloved temple. Following the stoning death of Stephen, members of the church began to feel the heat of persecution. 
compelled to stake out this new sect, Saul sought out the help of Jerusalem's high priest. He went to him for authority to authorize him to export that persecution of any followers in the way. And that's what they called it, the way. Pursue them as far as even the synagogues in Damascus. Let me just highlight some points of, of that. Reading through the Acts account 9 through 15. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Asking him who he was, the voice responded, I am Jesus. The one you were persecuting. Struck blind. Through this encounter, Paul was led by his companions to Damascus, and for three days he ate and he drank nothing. He only prayed to the Lord. I find it interesting that the word in Acts records that even though he was blind, he had a vision. So he could still see, but he couldn't see. I see. He could still see. He knew enough to pursue the Lord. Now, I want to say to you that Paul was a man who was acquainted and committed to, to the Lord and to prayer. And he thought he knew who he was. he thought somehow in his anger he could do the work of the Lord and deal with this menace, these messianic Jews. And in his vision he saw a man called Ananias who was from the way Three days, the Lord's servant, Ananias, was commanded, and the Lord had to command him, you will go, and you will lay your hands on Saul. I'm jumping ahead. I mean, this is a wonderful story. God says, go Saul is my chosen instrument, my message to the Gentiles and to kings, and as well to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Who do you think you may have to apply that way? 
Do we think of that as a gift? Does it feel penal to you? Like God is, I'm going to get even with this boy. I'm going to show him a few things. Maybe like my dad when I was a kid and I was acting out against my two older sisters who definitely needed a good thrashing. He said, son, you need to go out to the back and cut yourself a switch and come back to where you have a talk. You're laughing, but I never went back. I, I just kept going. I wandered back later on because I was hungry, but I mean, I gotta, I gotta admit to you, when I, you know, when I used to read the story, I, it felt ominous to me. You know, I really didn't have a grid of understanding at that time. It felt penal, felt hard. It is hard. But when we realize that Jesus himself entered into suffering for our sake, and he did it with joy because he knew about the reward that was to come, then we need to think again. For our friends in Philippi, I want you to notice Jesus isn't dumbstruck by the conflict that they were experiencing, both from within and from without, from the outside. He isn't dumbstruck by the conflicts that we experience in this life, whether it's, as I say, division or dissension in us. In his beautiful little bride, or its opposition that comes to us from outside of the church. But I take great comfort knowing that while I was still hostile to Jesus, he died for me. He took that penalty and the burden of my sin, and he carried it with him to the cross. went and nailed it there once and forever, paid in full with his life. And then he turns it around so that he can demonstrate God's forgiveness towards us. And then, and he's not done there yet. He's going to now pour out his spirit of love into our hearts. I'm quoting here from a little piece of Romans chapter 5. And who wrote Romans? a thing too about Jesus, about God who saves. The amazing thing is that he did all of this while we were still living in ignorance and resistant of him. Paul suffered many things for Jesus' name's sake, but at the very depth of his heart, Paul had a song of praise to his Savior who reached out to him and saved him by his own darkness. I found myself again reading the accounts out of the Acts, book of Acts, 
and City of Philippi and Silas and Paul had had their clothing stripped from them and they had been beaten severely and they had been thrown into the very deepest section of that dungeon and locked in stockades and irons and left there. <laughs> and their response was to sing and worship to the Lord and pray. Talk about messing up. Count it all joy when you suffer for my the good news of God's kingdom is that God loves us. And He saved His Son to reveal God in our hearts through our collective lives together. No one knew this better than Paul. Paul's encouragement to the church and to each of us here is to make the most of every moment to live out of the good news of Christ's love for the church and for this world. He's not done. His will is that none would be lost. You wonder about his soon return while he is waning. He is holding back because his heart is that none should miss out on this. experience of his love this side of his kingdom coming would be absolute glory. He wants us forever. And he's even willing to sacrifice us to make this happen. Just like he did his son. every determination to do this is the body of Christ this is letters to the whole body to every one of you every one of us we should stand united be singular in your vision together be contending for people's trust the message of the good news of Christ. This word for contending is, is thought of like a bit of a, an athletic expression, a competition or event to which we're not all that excited are we getting into a competition. She likes to win. There is some effort required on our part. There is going to be some sacrifice beyond Christ that we have to embrace. Call on God. Invite His Holy Spirit of love to fill your heart, to strengthen your inner spirit so that you can live and love in the power of Jesus who is within. So many of you already know, Debbie and I spent nine days in Colorado for our summer holiday. Four of those were spent attending the Come 
Holy Spirit Vineyard USA conference that was being held in the Mile High City in Denver. Multiple leaders from across the U.S. along with main and breakout sessions that were held over four days were, were joined by some, some notable people from across the pond. So 
Also involves God's gift of suffering. 